Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. One of the many big issues as voters headed to the polls over the weekend was housing affordability. Low interest rates and a huge hole in supply has brought house prices to all-time highs, even through a pandemic and a recession. With the Reserve Bank lifting interest rates, many analysts are now predicting a drop in house prices. But are these predictions accurate? And will the increased mortgage pressure make it just as hard for young people to secure their first home? The new Labor government took a raft of housing policies to the election, but questions still remain as to how well they address the problem. Today on the show, we're taking a look at some of the stark realities of housing affordability. I'm joined in the studio by Harry Shull, Professor of Finance at the University of Technology, Sydney, and remotely by Simon Presley, Founder and Head of Property Market Research at Propertyology. Harry and Simon, welcome to Think Business Futures. My pleasure, Stefan. You're welcome. Simon, let's start with you. House prices are still through the roof. Housing affordability was a huge issue going into the election. And housing has been for the last two or three years described as being in a crisis. How did we get here? Underpinning it, we've got an all-time record low number of properties listed for sale. So that that creates enormous competition when an essential commodity known as shelter, um, which we're always going to need, it will never go out of fashion, but um, there's just not enough of it. On the demand side of things, we've had, of course, record low interest rates. We've got a lot of consumer confidence. And we should be proud of our economy. The full house sign is officially up in terms of uh, number of jobs. They're all filled and we've got about 430,000 jobs vacant at the moment, Stefan. So that's where the demand is coming from. It needs to be kept in mind that this is the second biggest property boom in Australia's 230-year history. And it's happened at a time when we've had our lowest rate of population growth in over 100 years. Harry, anything to add to that? No, I totally agree that uh, the economy is booming and... um House prices are up. My main concern is a lot of that is driven by um, low interest rate rates, as Simon has pointed out. They are at zero now, and um, I just worry that it's not sustainable in the future. Is there anything else that we can look at? I mean, the structure that's in place, we start talking about things like negative gearing. Is this something we need to look at, Harry? Uh, it's interesting that you bring it up, especially in the current climate, because Labour has always been a proponent of abolishment of negative gearing. And um, whilst it has not been really raised in the last couple of months, we might expect uh, to see a you know reinvigoration of that discussion. It has been proposed in the past, but uh, the people who did propose it never carried it through. So we still have negative gearing, mm. and I expect that to remain as is. Mm. And there, there are also very good reasons for negative gearing. Right. Simon, is a change in negative gearing, gearing policy going to make any difference? No, it's not remotely um, uh, to blame for the boom we've got now. Negative gearing doesn't uh, affect an owner-occupier at all. And this has been an owner-occupier-driven property price boom. I totally get the frustration for someone wanting to buy their first property. Um, Absolutely, that's challenging, but it's always been challenging. But most of the buyers um, are existing homeowners who have upgraded. Um, And that's been the dominant driver of of this property boom. Property is always a divisive topic, isn't it? And um, when markets do well, some people enjoy that and other, other people get frustrated about that. 
Okay, Harry, anything to add to that? Yeah, so um, Australia is a very unique situation in the sense that um, we don't have these large investment markets where you know one investor owns thousands of units. In Australia, most of the people own one property or they own um, up to five properties in different states. Land tax has to do something with it. Mm. But um, uh, I guess the, the, the property ownership in Australia is very, very different. And so um, if you talk about housing affordability today, it's, it's mainly about the affordability of young people getting into the market. Mm. That step appears to be higher than ever. But loosely speaking, I think the um, you know property in Australia is, is well distributed across the population. And you do not have situations as in, for example, Europe, where you have large investment holdings holding these thousands of units and then um, majority of the population um, living in rent. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that. And I think that it's something to, that's important to keep in mind is sometimes we take for granted and the way that it's written in the media a lot of the time when we talk about housing affordability and we talk about a crisis it is for first home buyers it is for people looking to get into the market and it's extremely tough but uh before we get to that because we're going to talk about the new government's policies in a minute let's talk about interest rates harry much of your work focuses on risk many economists are predicting interest rates to be somewhere in the sort of mid 3% by mid next year considering the huge borrowing for expensive houses at low interest rates give us some of your analysis of the current risk and mortgage stress issues well i mean we need to understand that that uh, for any mortgage borrower a substantial part um of the repayments or payments to the bank is a compensation for fee interest rate and as interest rates go up um you will find that these the serviceability of mortgages becomes much much harder so we, we do express it in the X amount of dollars you have to pay in addition to your uh, mortgage payments every month. And um, it is, when you look at interest rate increases, it is the first percentage point that bites the hardest. It is that, that first percentage point increase that basically um, leads to the uh, majority of increase in, 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 in the mortgage payments, especially if you come, come from a um, you know, rate of close to zero. I mean, mortgage rates were never at zero, even at the moment. You would look at a rate of two and a half percent at a bank, but of course, as uh, then the base rate goes up, rather you will find that the mortgage rates will go up as well. We also need to understand that that now ties in with inflation. That currently people will are spending more money, uh, petrol prices and the like, and the incomes have not ca- caught up with that that increase. Mm. So incomes um, for many people have not increased at all, or um, only for by one or two percent, much lower than what people are spending through um, you know normal consumables, but also through mortgage payments and you know with mortgage payments we also need to consider that that uh, the, the mortgage uh, rate if, as it goes up it is um, based on a much lower larger loan amount on leverage and um, with that the increase in the interest rates bites harder than the increase in inflation or in, in prices mm, i mean let's talk about how it will affect the different groups of people that own homes i mean we have people that have you know they talk about saving for a home takes a decade there's some people that six months ago finally got to the end of that decade and bought their first home and borrowed as much as they could at the lowest interest Mm. rate possible you know and then there's groups of people that might own one home and have a couple of investment properties and things like that let's talk about how it sort of how those waves sort of crash over the the population so um you have different as you say you have different people and you have for example people who have bought a house who have a mortgage loan and their main struggle will be that they um, have to make higher repayments as most mortgages, either a variable rate or are only uh, fixed at a very short time, a maximum five years. But then we also have uh, another group, people who want to get into the market, the young people, 
And you'll find that uh, as banks assess their serviceability, banks will um, make lower, uh, smaller loan amounts. And so the, the firepower or the, the, the money they have available, that is their deposit plus what they get from bank as a, as a loan, will um, decrease in total and um, people will have less money available going forward uh, uh, to make house purchases. Mm. Now, Simon, as a property analyst, I'm sure that you've had your notifications set for every time interest rates are being risen and um, your analysis goes deep. Give us your opinion of what you think this rise over the next year or so might do to the housing market and housing affordability. Uh, the biggest overreaction since the international border closed two years ago and when every bank in Australia and just about every economist said we were going to see the, the single biggest property market downturn in uh, the history of mankind and it didn't happen. We had a massive big property boom. There's very few things on this planet, Stefan, that are more complicated than property market. It's it's a, a concert of many moving parts um, uh, and interest rates are just one of many. The single biggest property boom um, that Australia had was 2002 to 2008. And in that six-year period of time, six of eight capital cities saw their median house price more than double. And there was even bigger rates of growth throughout most of regional Australia. In that six-year period of time, not only did interest rates rise, but the standard variable rate mortgage increased 22 times in that six-year period of time. When interest rates go up, almost always it's because the Reserve Bank has so much confidence in the economy and then consumers spending so much money that the Reserve Bank are increasing interest rates as a precautionary note to consumers saying, hey, you need to slow down. And humans often don't listen. So then the Reserve Bank intervenes and say, we're going to increase interest rates. What that will do is take some money out of your pocket by virtue of your mortgage payment going up. So the interest rate going up is is one what we call dragging effect in a property market. But there's a heck of a lot more lifting effects on property markets. So why are the interest rates going up? Because we've got a strong economy, because we've got lots of security um, in jobs, because we're, it's inevitable we'll, we'll get... Uh, much-needed wage growth that Australia hasn't seen for a long period of time. The, uh, I read an RBA paper that was published as recently as October. Australian household finances have literally never been stronger than what they are there. And they quoted some great statistics. The equity in existing property owners' homes has never been higher than what it is. The cash reserves, we've got more than $100 billion dollars Existing homeowners squirreled away in cash, no permission required here to access this money, in mortgage offset accounts and redraws. Most people with a mortgage, and this is not new, we've done this for, you know, for as long as we've had mortgages, they don't want to have that mortgage any longer than they need to. People don't like being in debt, but they recognise because property is so expensive, before you buy the asset, you need to buy the liability. So when they acquire that liability and the asset at the same time, they look at their household budget and say, what can I afford to pay? Now, let's make up a scenario. Let's say the bank says, we require you to pay a minimum of whatever, $2,000. And that household goes, oh, well, but we can afford to pay $2,500. And we want to do that because we don't want to have this mortgage any longer than what we need to. So they set a direct debit up and they continue to pay that $2,500. Now, in Australia, we go back as recently as three years ago, before the RBA started cutting interest rates, that $2,500 was already set and had been set at that figure for umpteen years in a lot of people's cases. So they're already well ahead um, paying a lot more than what they need to on their mortgage. 
The RBA then over a short period of time cut interest rates five times. So they're continuing to pay $2,500 a month, but the minimum amount required is reduced from $2,000 progressively to whatever. Now, let's say it ends up at $1,500. So th this, is, this is how and why, not just now, but always, most mortgage holders are a long, long, long way ahead in their mortgage repayments. All of the banks have, have announced separately in the last few months, when they audit their own mortgage book, that a large percentage of their mortgage holders are more than two years in advance of their loan repayment. So yes, broadly as a country, we've got more debt now than a couple of years ago. But most mortgage holders, people who already had a property, their debt today is a lot lower than what it was mm. a couple of years ago. And the value of their asset is worth a lot more. And the money in their offset accounts, it's, you know, most people have never seen that, that amount of cash before. So it's a big, big storm in a teacup. There are a lot more positives underpinning property markets than, than the negative side of things. Mm. Harry, what do you think? Yeah, first of all, um, property is complicated and there's so many dimensions to that. Mm. And uh, to Simon's, you know, um, arguments, I, I do have to agree. I had a similar discussion about in March 2020. And my uh, the other panelist was a real estate agent from Maruba who was very positive about the market. And, you know, um, he was right. <laughs> so so um, 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 it's very, very hard to, to, to follow and, and explain real estate markets. Personally, I myself, I'm very positive about Australia and the real estate markets, parts because I'm invested in it. But um, also there are things that are changing. So, for example, traditionally, I totally agree, uh, reserve banks raise the interest rates of economies well, and they lower if it's not going well. But um, the RBA has done in the past couple of months the opposite. Times are good. We have the lowest unemployment rate for many, many years, yet we were at low interest rates around zero. It's a regime change. Uh, normally, the interest rate should be far higher. Now um, that uh, the economy, there are struggles ahead, you know, the war in Ukraine, uh, the lockdowns in China, we are suddenly rising the interest rate just because inflation is high. And so um, I think what's going on at the Reserve Bank is unprecedented. Uh, and so um, um, I don't have an explanation of all of that. that that's one aspect. And, and second is um, the real estate prices often have um, feedback effects. So, so people just don't not, not only buy a house and live in it until they retire. Many people that I have seen around me, they um, sold their existing house and upgraded to a larger place, um, um, to a definitely more expensive place. And so they have used the capital gains um, that they achieved over the last couple of years to buy new property. With that, they, of course, added some of their own money to it, and uh, that led to further house price increases. So you have a, a chain. Okay, well, bringing it back to what we were talking about before in terms of the people that are struggling the most, which is people trying to get into their first homes. Now, you've both given a relatively positive outlook as to what might happen to house prices. With these interest rates, and I'll ask you, Harry, are the ones that are just trying to get into their first home facing even more trouble than they have been over the last couple of years? Um, no, um, I, I would just um, uh, uh, tame expectations. So I don't think it necessarily will be harder uh, in the future. As house prices come down, generally it should be easier to get in the market, but it will be a more medium to long-term effect. Because also as um, house prices, um, if they were to drop, if as that happens, um, and you know um, interest rates go up, um, it will be much harder to get, to get funding credit mm. um, and it will be also, um, that will be offset. Um, so um, young people probably will not f feel an immediate relief. <laughs> so it will be as hard for them to get, to get into the property market as now, perhaps harder. Yeah. So, but um, um, 
I do not see that there is uh, suddenly a change in, in housing, houses become affordable in Australia and, and there's no happy days for young people. Um, I think the people who struggle today will also struggle in the future. Mm. Simon? That, the hardest thing is get your first foot on mm. the ladder and it gets easier after that because you, you become conditioned to not only paying the mortgage but there's a lot of responsibility that comes with home ownership and uh, I think some young people aspiring to to own a property you know, perhaps don't appreciate yet the, the, the responsibility that comes with servicing a mortgage to be able to weather when interest rates go up and down. You're responsible as the as the property owner to pay the council rates and the insurance and the, and the maintenance that as a tenant, your landlord you know, was responsible for all that sort of stuff. And that, yeah, I'm, I'm in my 50s now, Stefan, but I still remember 30 years ago um, the, the sacrifices and discipline that, that I went through personally to save my deposit. Um, uh, you know, it was bread and milk stuff. But like a lot of things that are important to people in life, if you want it enough, you find a way. You don't always have to do things a conventional way. Um, I, I think, um, you know, there's, there's a lot less, seems to be a lot less financial and emotional resilience um, amongst their youth these days. They just want it now. You know, they're, they're not prepared to, to, to put a proper strategy in place and, and, and to exercise the discipline and make the sacrifices to follow things through. Um, and I think that then dominates uh, a lot of the headlines that we read each day. We don't have a housing affordability crisis. It is incredibly difficult to get into the Sydney property market. Um, and it's difficult to get into other parts of Australia, but it's always been difficult. But you can get in. And if you want to get in enough, you will get in. Okay. Let's move on uh, and we'll quickly run through what Labor is proposing to try to address, uh, you know, some of the supply issues and also some of the price issues. Now, we've got the help to buy scheme that the new Labor government have brought through, well, that are, that are planning to bring through, aims to help get 10,000 people into a home, shouldering 40% of the equity and allowing a 2% deposit. We've got the regional first home buyer support scheme with another 10,000 people in regional areas being able to have just a 5% deposit on their first home loan. There's also the National Housing Supply and Affordability Council, which looks at housing affordability and is supposed to make recommendations moving forward. And then also the $10 billion Housing Australia Future Fund, which will invest into 20,000 new social housing properties and 10,000 new affordable homes. When we looked at the election and um, going into the election, I'll start with you, Simon. How much are these policies something to put in place to look like you're addressing an issue and look like you're supporting people? And how far do they go to actually addressing this and helping people get into their first home, considering on aggregate, this will be available to something like 30,000 people? Yeah, great question, Stefan. Um, it sounds like a lot, doesn't it, when, when, when you rattle off, as, as you did well there, and sort of summarised all the things that are out there. It sounds like they're doing a lot, but in the overall scheme of things, it's... Um, uh, it's a drop. It's a drop of beer on the floor in a, in a brewery. It, it really does little. The the help to buy policy only benefits ten thousand people per year. Now that puts a perspective around that. The twenty twenty one calendar year just completed. We had an all time record number of properties purchased. There were six hundred and thirty thousand real estate transactions. So we've got a federal government policy that's going to um, you know provide support to an extra ten thousand people. Whoopie do. Um, at, at a cost to the Australian taxpayer of $330 million to benefit 10,000 people. So it really, it really doesn't do anything. If governments generally want to support people with first home ownership, we need to look at the states, not the federal. The single biggest impediment to become a first home buyer is raising your deposit. And the second is your acquisition costs, stamp duty. And stamp duty is a state government tax 
not a federal government tax. Last year, stamp duty, uh, that revenue revenue to the states was $24 billion. So you can build 24 major hospitals from one year of collecting stamp duty. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying they should abolish stamp duty, but if we generally want to help young people acquire home ownership, look at the actual impediments. Stamp duty, other than raising their deposit, is the biggest thing. So put in some sort of policy that sort of says you get one bite at this, it's $20,000 off what your stamp duty would be or something like that. And then, and then you're on your own. The, on the deposit side of things, maybe we need to have a, have a look at the mortgage insurance thing. Not that long ago, a first-time buyer used to be able to get into the market with as small as a 2% deposit without any government policies like we've been talking about here. Mortgage insurance was, a, was, was applicable. Mortgage insurers don't want to touch that stuff anymore. But that sort of thing needs to be looked at. Now, yes, that means they got a bigger debt, but banks have never in this country just thrown debt out the door. Um, We've had mortgage arrears at 1% for, for about 20, 20 years now. So we're very, very prudent with our lending policies. We do confirm job security and, and discipline um, financial budgets and that sort of stuff. So I, I think they can look at the mortgage insurance um, initiative. I still think superannuation plays a role, but we can't totally erode superannuation. And we need to encourage and educate people what this term rent vesting means. Someone living in, say, for example, Sydney, where the median house price is $1.4 million, someone who doesn't want to live in an apartment, they want the detached house, unless they've got really cashed up parents, that's impossible to buy that $1.4 million home. But can they buy a home that they aren't necessarily living in? 24 of Australia's 50 biggest cities, the median house price is $600,000 or less. So can that person in Sydney raise $60,000? being a 10% deposit on a conventional standard house in various parts of regional Australia or some capital cities? Can they afford that? And then the rental income will pretty much cover the cost to hold that. They're still saving money because you've got a cash flow neutral property. They're not living in it at the moment, but that is a stepping stone that'll get them into their own home much quicker than just throwing in the towel and saying, I'll never be able to afford to own a home in a big expensive city like Sydney or Canberra. There are strategies, but we don't educate to the broader Australian public what these strategies are and how they can work for them. So therefore, they throw the toys out of the cot, they pout their lip, and we end up with the word crisis, which is not appropriate to what's actually possible. Mm, okay. Harry, your thoughts on the Labor Party's policies coming out of the election and what they'll do to address these issues? Yeah, so first I think there's um, two areas where uh, people try to tackle with housing affordability. Uh, one is to eliminate frictions, as Simon has pointed out. And, um, you know, stamp duty, totally agree. Um, it's probably not the most efficient tax. Currently it was hard because we were, had this booming uh, economy and post-COVID uh, a lot of, um, you know, um, state governments um, try to recover through that tax channel uh, some of the expenditures. And uh, it might be hard, easier if now we had a decline in the property market to uh, um, you know, replace stamp duty by a land tax. Now, the problem I have with all these um, transactions is um, if you help young people to get access, make it cheaper, ultimately, the, the way we buy and sell houses through auction markets and the like, you just bid up house prices. And then the effect to the young people might be at least moderated. I think if you want to challenge or if you want to solve this problem fundamentally, you need to create infrastructure. 
public transport to areas where we can build new housing stock or in Sydney maybe raise the uh, building levels um, of course which we don't, sometimes don't like because it's heritage protected areas and, and but we need to create a more housing stock and, and this is where the government could help through in, uh, smart investments you know recently they, um, with the fuel excise uh, tax which was uh, dropped we had this discussion should we um, invest in for example cars or should, should we invest in public transport those could be examples where we are creating more stock And, you know, totally agree. Um, the tens of thousands of uh, grants that the government gives, and even if we add them up, we may end up at 50,000 extra units. It's only a drop on the hot stone to the, the housing markets. So I think government is well best advised to create an environment for private investment to come in and uh, to, to, to build and uh, uh, create additional supply in the housing markets, especially for areas like Sydney, where we, we are constrained. does not mean that we, we, we have to uh, have high-speed trains 200 kilometers out and build new suburbs. But it could also be uh, by uh, just building higher or creating new forms of, of living. Uh, there are some excellent ideas out there. Mm. There are plenty of excellent ideas. We want to wrap up really quickly now. Do you think it's too difficult, Simon, for the government to act on these sorts of ideas? I mean, we've seen the policies that they've brought forward and the ones that, that you both are talking about are somewhat more drastic and um, potentially harder to implement, uh, you know, What's the reality of these 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 types of ideas actually coming to fruition? Most of, if government really want to help, most of it is education. You know, every time, uh, no generation, no government have ever understood property markets. And more often than not, when they introduce a policy, it creates a restriction that causes an unintended consequence somewhere else. The rental crisis we were talking about earlier, Stefan, has been caused by government intervention. Government policy didn't mean to cause the rental crisis. They had no idea that's what happened, and that's my point. Um, so government should not be uh, have this urge to, we, we've got to introduce all these policies because they'll, they'll probably stuff something else up. What they could do, and it will cost nothing, is just good quality information. Some of the stuff we've been talking about today, packaging that up cleverly out there, use digital media and explain to people. Uh, you know, invest in financial literacy. Make... make home ownership, aspirational and achievable for people. It is achievable, but some people don't realise how they could go about it. That costs nothing. It's just effort and good quality information. That's the best thing they could do. But do I have confidence they'll do it? Probably not, mate. Mm, okay. Harry, have you got one more thing to add yeah, before just, we finish? Uh, maybe. I just want to say I'm hopeful that the new government will um, um, make a difference. I just think that difference might not be as large as we all expect mm -hmm. <laughs> because, um, as we learned today, um, things are quite complex. Mm. in the housing markets. I think you mentioned this earlier, Harry, that a lot of people, you know, in Europe and in, in many other countries live their whole lives renting a property and the aspiration of buying your own home and living in it isn't as central to the concept of success as it is here in Australia. So perhaps rent vesting, like you mentioned, Simon, or some of the other strategies uh, implementing this type of financial literacy will get us to a, a bit of a place of equilibrium where people can be diligent and people can be disciplined about getting into the property market one way or another. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Uh, as you said right at the start, Simon, we could have talked about this for two hours and I'm sure we <laughs> easily could have or for longer. But I really appreciate your time. Thank you both so much for joining me here on Think Business Futures. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guests, Harry Shul and Simon Presley. You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. 
Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week. And please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.